Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Tuesday, May 2nd. Feels good to be back in the studio after a brief hiatus. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the change of pace last week with Sarah in the host chair. If you actually missed that episode, you can go to podcast.fool.com or your favorite podcast app to hear her discuss the death of retail with Dan Klein. But this week, I want to talk about a corner of the consumer and retail world that actually continues to enjoy strong growth with the help of, I think, some pretty favorable trends in consumer preferences, lifestyle, and more. And joining me today via Skype is Motley Fool senior contributor, Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit, great to have you with us. It's great to be back, Vince. Uh, as a reminder to all the fools listening, or if you missed Gabby's financial show yesterday, we have a puzzle theme for this week. So make sure you tune in until the end of this episode to get today's clue and to learn more about the contest. Before our main topic of discussion, we will be fielding a question from the Motley Fool podcast group on Facebook. Johnny posted wanting to know more about Adidas and why it has seen incredible gains recently far outperforming its major industry rivals, Nike and Under Armour. And in fact, since the beginning of 2015, the stock has rocketed upwards, gaining nearly 200%, while Nike was up about 20% over the same period, and Under Armour struggled with a 40% decline. Asit, Adidas has been around for like 70 years. It's the number two sports brand worldwide, with revenue in 2016 coming in at over 19 billion euros, but really doesn't get as much love as it probably deserves in the US for consumers and I think investors too. The first name that comes to mind in this space is obviously the dominant homegrown industry leader, Nike. Then you have Under Armour as a scrappy upstart. But you know, as you researched the company, kind of did your due diligence for Adidas, you know, what was your first impression? My first impression on Adidas is that it's a much loved brand, as you've implied in other parts of the world. Uh, the U.S. is a football, basketball, baseball culture, mm-hmm. and we're just turning into a soccer culture. But uh, among sports like soccer uh, and tennis, uh, sports which aren't as uh, traditional here, but but have been in the last few decades, increasing. Adidas has actually more traction among consumers, and it's a sort of this continent versus that continent dynamic. Nike is extremely strong in North America. That's a market that Adidas wants to break into, and vice versa. So that my first impression is that hey, there's two fifths of the world uh, for which Adidas, you know, is the Nike uh, in terms of brand dominance. But as you say, we have a bias here uh, in North America for um, you know this wonderful explosive growth uh, that Nike has enjoyed. So it's a top of mind brand for us. Uh, we'll get to this a little bit later in the conversation, but indeed, this is trying to change that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, though, you know, while this, uh, and as we mentioned, this part of the consumer and retail sector in terms of sports apparel overall has shown growth, even in uh, a space overall that has seen its challenges uh, with in terms of you know changes to the demand for brick and mortar stores, changes to uh, you know digital operations, uh, more e-commerce. You know, sports apparel is doing well. The space is doing well. Adidas in North America, and I think 
big part of the reason why the company has seen such incredible gains in its shares has been the success that it's seen the past couple years in North America under a new overall strategy that they've dubbed creating the new, under new leadership with Mark King. Can you tell us a little bit about the results that the company has seen recently, some of the progress that they've made that has allowed them to really outperform even Nike and you know who was previously the kind of growth leader in this space, Under Armour? Sure. So Adidas, or I should say, uh, just for for this part of the segment, Adidas. My <laughs> wife is from India. She tells me that in many parts of the world, that's how it's pronounced. And events sometimes we talk about brands. Is it Nike? Is it Nike? Uh, <laughs> for for this part of the segment, Adidas. Uh, one of the the tremendous things that the company has implemented is a sort of agile methodology of creating products and getting them to market and then trying to follow through on those sales. You'll hear this word agile spouted by many companies. Everyone wants to be lean and versatile and aggressive and fast. But Adidas is one of these companies that has actually implemented this in a number of ways. Uh, they have a type of brand positioning. It's, it's actually their strategy. It's based on four components, speed, cities, open source, and culture. So let's talk about the first of these. Speed um, really means what you think it might in some ways. It, it means making products very quickly, getting them into channels uh, quickly as well. But for uh, Adidas, it means also, hey, when we put a product on the shelf, we want to have enough inventory so that there's some left over. Traditionally, the model in footwear is that if you sell out, that's awesome. But Adidas says, no, we get as much product as we can, as fast as we can. Let's have some left over. Let's actually have inventory left in the channel because what that shows us is that we haven't left money on the table. If you sell out, there's a span of time until you replenish that inventory that you've lost sales. So speed means actually something a little different here. It means flushing those channels with enough product. So once they create that demand, I come and buy the shoe um, right after me, they've got another pair waiting for Vince. Uh, so I really like this part of, of what the company is doing. And I want to point out that this has resulted in a faster growth rate uh, for Adidas versus Nike. Nike has averaged uh, for the past year, a couple of years, 6% annual revenue growth rate. And Adidas is approaching 14%. When you think about a company that is you know, $15 billion in trailing 12-month sales, it's a hard feat to pull off. So uh, one of the things, again, I like is uh, speed. And then briefly, we'll talk about one more aspect of the strategy. And this is cities. If you had to reinvent yourself as a sports and leisure wear company, there's so many ways you, you could go about it. Your first impulse might be to go to smaller metropolitan areas and gain exposure there, spend money on marketing, uh, your supply chain, and try to get traction in smaller cities. That's very logical. Adidas did something extremely uh, novel. They isolated six cities around the world. Those cities are London, uh, Paris, New York, LA, Shanghai, and Tokyo. And they came up with the idea that here, we want to be as aggressive as we can because these six cities set the trends for the rest of the world. And if we are selling at a high throughput in these cities, the taste will drip down. So sort of trickle-down branding, uh, we can coin a phrase today. 
And that's been effective for them. Their sales have really shot up in these cities, and it is uh, giving them brand awareness in smaller markets, which look to places like L.A. and Tokyo for uh, their style cues. Yeah, I think uh, it's really important uh, with these, and we'll get to the other two, which are open source and culture, as you mentioned. But with speed and cities, uh, for speed on that end, it's really interesting that one positive uh, development that has come through that in terms of you know making sure that there is enough product in the channels and not leaving money on the table is the idea that you also, you know, there's a very delicate balance there uh, in, in having these more accurate demand forecasts uh, and it improves their profitability as well, meaning, you know, their products sell through hopefully at full price and they resort to less promotions and discounts and overall that's going to flow down to their bottom line. And the cities thing is really interesting just because, you know, those six locations uh, setting the trend for the rest of the world, as you described, makes sense to me. And, you know they are really putting their money, I guess, where their mouth is in those in those regions. You know, in terms of these flagship stores are opening, uh, with one going up in New York very recently. You know, they get exclusive collections, they get more innovative retail experiences focused in these cities. So the marketing and the investments, you know, are really are really showing in these regions. Um, and I think they're obviously also tied for the next thing, which is open source. Um, you know, and at its core, I think it's just kind of using partnerships and sponsorships and different endorsements uh, to kind of further the reach and popularity of the brand. Uh, have you seen, for example, uh, Asset, a pair of Yeezys uh, being worn on the streets when you're walking around at all? Uh, I have, but only briefly because I wanted the pair so badly. The dude started running away. <laughs> but this is the type of thing that Adidas has become very good at. Instead of innovating from the inside out and pushing their ideas out and then trying to market those ideas, they have really embraced a culture of design that's uh, open source. So what they mean by that, as you might guess, they mean crowdsourcing ideas. They invite um, design engineers in-house to come and, and pull up a, a chair in their offices and collaborate. Uh, they are very in touch with the consumers, as is Nike, we should say. They collaborate a lot with consumers on design ideas. But the mentality is that actually there is no defined um, trend that you can see in the sportswear market. It's constantly evolving. And today with social media, ideas spread. Uh, consumers have as much power to create something as these big corporations do. And those that are realizing this um, and taking advantage uh, I think are have the potential to be quite successful. The example that I was looking at is a collaboration with uh, Parley, which is an organization which is trying to save the oceans. So uh, Adidas has launched a shoe which is entirely made from ocean pollution. That's the plastic that is swimming in the oceans in these great gyres that you read about. So their their phrase for this is from threat to thread, very persuasive. And you can buy this shoe, again, it's it's an idea that they didn't come up with in a corporate tower. They collaborated with a very small, socially conscious company, but uh, their first sort of forays into this late last year sold out very quickly. I think it's going uh, on sale in a broader uh, way here in the US this month. This is a great example of, of taking this idea of open source and not just uh, having something nice to say to consumers, but bringing those uh, profits to the bottom line, being able to tell shareholders, it's not just good for our image, it's, it's good for business. Mm -hmm. And so the last point, uh, 
kind of the way they show this in, in some of their uh, company presentations. You know, you have open source, you have uh, you have cities and you have speed kind of in a triangle. That's their focus. But underneath all of that, of course, is the culture for the company. Um, management has talked a lot about really focusing on the customer the past few years with this new strategy, um, making sure that they are focused also on the brand and making that as attractive and desirable to consumers as possible. And uh, you know, on the culture side, on the management side, I think it's important uh, in terms of recent changes and also uh, some of the people who've been leading uh, the success of these efforts You know, for Obviously, really important in terms of the CEO, Casper Worsted. He's only been in the role, I think, I believe since uh, late last year. And he came into, the business, into this position at a time where you obviously want to stay focused on your most successful initiatives, kind of letting the momentum build after a really strong 2016. And a uh, big part of that success, you know, as, we've, as we've mentioned with that, I think you know, 20% plus, almost 30% growth in the U.S. market, uh, which is the largest market worldwide for this, you know, these sports brands. And Rorset has made it clear from the beginning that winning in the U.S. is one of his top priorities. And on that note, you know, you have Mark King, who's uh, president of North uh, Adidas North America, and he's been heading up that business since June of 2014, and he helped turn that region around uh, from basically a shrinking business, I think it was down 7 or 8% as he got into it, and now they're delivering double-digit growth rates. And you know, I think the company recognized that it really needed to dedicate the resources and focus on this market if it wanted to compete, not allow uh, you know the the design team and the marketing team to be co- to be uh, coming out of its headquarters in Germany instead moving some of that into the U.S. Um, and with the additional marketing you know the right athlete and celebrity partnerships some of which we've talked about you know blending that athletic performance and style the idea of uh, you know athletes wanting things to perform on the court and then or on the field and then also looking good off the court and off the field um, anything else to add on that culture you know management side asset just to reiterate what you said uh, Worsted, I think on a recent conference call said that you know when I came on board the CEO's decision point do I change the strategy do I, I keep the current strategy if the CEO determines that the strategy is working, why change it? And that's exactly what he did. And I think that was important um, because they were in the midst of uh, building momentum. I uh, wanted to go back to something briefly that you mentioned, which is the strength of the North American business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's confluent with another trend that we're seeing at Adidas. So Adidas has an overall gross margin very close to Nike. Uh, it hovers every quarter in the mid 40s, so about 45% gross margin. Their digital business, though, uh, is uh, throwing off like a 60% margin. So it's a higher margin business, more profitable, and it's growing much more rapidly than the rest of the business. Last year, uh, the digital sales grew at a rate of 60%, roughly, from the prior year. And this is actually very um, prevalent in North America. We are increasingly a society that's buying online and, and hardly leaving the house, I should say. Uh, and so to circle back around these two trends, focusing on North America and the, the digital um, strength that is easy to, to tap into here in North America, I think will be very strong for Adidas. Uh, why they didn't do this years ago, I don't know. But some of our listeners who are a bit older, older will remember the uh, V8 commercial where people used to have an epiphany and slam themselves on the forehead and said, I could have had a V8. I think at some point. 
back at HQ in Germany, uh, leadership realized that we should have been pushing North America much harder long ago, but they are certainly gaining momentum now. Okay. Um, moving on then to some of the numbers, some of the financials and the valuation. We've touched on uh, bits and pieces here and there with specific segments. Um, but what have you seen in terms of you know some of the revenue, uh, some of the revenue growth in terms of their forecast? What their ambitions are. They have this plan, and I have uh, a slide from one of their presentations to touch on that as well. But some of their profitability. Uh, what are you seeing there? So profitability still needs uh, to be improved at Adidas. So we talked about the comparison to Nike in terms of gross margins, but when you uh, take away the selling expenses, um, think about all the operating expenses, administrative in general. Uh, I think that Adidas is maybe about 50% where it needs to be. The reason is, at the end of the day, Nike has an 11 to 12% net margin uh, every quarter, and Adidas hovers between 4 to 5%. Yep. They know they can do a much better job, and some of this is being manifested in just their evolution. We talked about trying to make sure that there's enough product to make demand. The flip side of that, which you briefly alluded to, Vince, is that, well, you take a risk, you might have too much inventory where the demand trails off, and that costs you money. Uh, their supply chain is something that they've admitted needs work, uh, but also just optimizing retail channels will be very helpful to Adidas. As we mentioned, uh, these digital sales can lift the overall company margin. That'll take some number of years. It's interesting, uh, the company is projecting that it's going to keep growing uh, I think maybe uh, net earnings by 15% rate and uh, also revenue at a double digit, low double digit rate uh, for the next three to four years. And that's impressive to me. Yeah, I, I have here their original uh, forecast in March 2015 when they're kicking off this creating the new strategy. Uh, their ambition for 2020 was sales growth and high single digits. And, you know, as uh, recently, uh, at their investor uh, at their investor day, they've upped that to low single digits as you mentioned, ten to ten to twelve percent net income growth. They were hoping around the fifteen percent range. That's been boosted from twenty to twenty two percent, and ultimately, what that means by twenty twenty, they're hoping to see uh, net sales of twenty five to twenty seven billion euros, and you know, on that e commerce side, even uh, they were hoping to hit. $2 billion uh, in terms of the digital e-commerce business in 2020. Now they're targeting $4 billion because you know, they've seen so much uh, progress there and boosting their operating margin uh, from current levels uh, up to about 11% by 2020. Uh, and that's a, that's a huge part of it. Uh, man, uh, the CEO has mentioned, he, kinda, he described it uh, during one of the presentations, how the past eight years, they've experienced so much growth which is great, but they failed to scale that, and now that's obviously a very, very much a renewed focus for them. And in terms of uh, you know where their revenue is coming from as well, you know just over half their business now is in footwear, about fifty three percent of sales, and that share of revenue has grown actually quite a bit in 2015, 2016 with this recent success. Um, and footwear put up, of course. 26% currency neutral growth in 2016 and you know really outpacing its apparel and accessory segments and I think this you know is important in terms of the history of this company starting out as a footwear company I think it was uh, it's been around for 70 years and I, I think 
uh, a really interesting uh, part of the history is the idea that you know these two brothers, uh, the Dassler brothers, who who started Adidas, ended up kind of coming to a head and, and developing this sibling feud. And uh, Adi Dassler, who started Adidas, uh, his brother actually ended up to find found Puma as well. So very influential family in terms of uh, you know this this sports apparel and, and footwear world, um, and. In terms of that football footwear within the U.S., you know, despite some of the strides that they've made, you know, only at seven percent market share, so plenty of a runway for further growth. But let's look. How about the valuation? You know, I mentioned earlier that the stock over the past two years or so has gone up about two hundred percent. Do you think that, you know, after that those kinds of gains, this is still still a something that investors can get in on and enjoy further growth, or maybe, or are they better off potentially looking at Nike, which you know still obviously the leader in this industry, or even Under Armour, which though it's suffered recently, maybe uh, an attractive price point now. What do you think? So Vince, a few episodes ago, you and I were talking about comparing companies in a single industry, similar companies in a single industry, mm-hmm. and I was touting my love of forward earnings as a good way to compare two companies. Adidas has become pricey, to be frank, uh, since it's had this, these tremendous gains. So just looking this morning, um, January of 216 to date, I mean, you talked about a 200% gain, but in the last 16 months, the stock has doubled. And that's pushed its forward PE ratio, that is, its price to earnings on estimated uh, basis for the next year, to 30 times uh, versus Nike, which is 23 times. And it's also pushed its trailing 12-month price to free cash flow ratio. So if you take the free cash flow the company generates and, and compare that uh, to its price, it is priced 53 times that uh, free cash flow to Nike's 32, Nike's 32. What does this mean, though? If growth looks like it can plateau, then you have a reason to really be concerned when a number two company sort of outstrips a number one company in industry in valuation. But if that number two company can make a persuasive case that its arc of growth is, is still intact and it's, it's actually accelerating, then the shareholder can have some tolerance for a higher valuation. And I think that for the time being, that's what you're seeing. If you pull up the stock chart and just compare Nike um, to Adidas uh, together and, and, and look at that sort of cur- ascending curve that Adidas has created shareholders are willing to take some more risk because they understand that unlike Nike, which is extremely solid and growing at its own handsome clip, Adidas has potential to accelerate. So while I I do see some risk in the stock, I can understand why there might be some support over the next two to three years in this time frame you mentioned, Vince, when they're going to optimize all this work that they're doing. What's your opinion? I think that despite the you mentioned, uh, you know, price to Ford earnings thirty times, uh, you know, definitely a premium to this to its competitors like Nike and the, you know the industry overall, with the exception of an Under Armour, for example. I think the the key thing to remind remember here is what you mentioned actually in terms of where they stand in terms of you know their profitability levels being about a half of where Nike has reached due to its scale and, and, and leaner and more efficient operations. And if I think management remains focused on that and they can kind of uh, maintain that 
the momentum that they've seen in terms of the top line, in terms of their brand awareness and, and this growth that they've seen, uh, double digits really across all of their different markets uh, in terms of uh, Europe, uh, North America, and, chi- and China as well, and these other regions. And then also being able to boost that and scale that, as you know, uh, management has mentioned, they're so focused on. Then really, uh, you see a lot of potential there for for how that valuation can and can uh, can be justified, and how it's a, a premium worth paying because this really is a company that is firing right now. I think uh, on all cylinders and should be stronger as we go forward. And on that note, you know, for any listeners who've kind of had their interest peaked. Uh, with this discussion of Adidas, there are a few things I think in terms of the logistics of investing in the company uh, that should be known, and that's in terms of the fact uh, that there are ADRs that you can invest in, and uh, you know where those ADRs trade. So wrapping up our discussion of this company, you know, there uh, is some things that you should know in terms of investing in a non-US entity like Adidas. And as a European company, Adidas trades on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange under the ticker. ADS, um, but I think for a lot of our foolish listeners, if you want to invest in the company, you'd be looking at its ADRs or its American Depository receipts, and those are under the ticker ADDYY. And these receipts uh, essentially have the advantage of trading on a U.S. exchange in U.S. dollars. And the ADR, ADR really just makes it easier for Americans to invest in foreign companies like this. Um, the Do- uh, Deutsche Bank actually sponsors the ADR program, and what that means is it kind of buys a bunch of Adidas shares. Uh, uh, off the Frankfurt Exchange, and then it reissues them as these ADRs. In this case, there's kind of there's a ratio. So two of these American depository receipts equal one ordinary share of Adidas stock. And you know, as a result, if you buy these ADRs, you can uh, avoid some of the complications like exchange rates. Um, if you were uh, that you would otherwise encounter if you bought the foreign stock directly, and then uh, a second point to keep in mind is that uh, you know Adidas uh, these ADRs they trade over the counter in the U.S. Asa, can you give us a rundown of what what listeners should know about these OTC exchanges? Absolutely. So over the counter uh, OTC, when you deal with ADRs, uh, they have a few. Uh, subspecialty markets to choose from and adidas trades on the otc qx which is the premier market Uh, that sounds very lofty but what's really important to focus on is what level sponsored level of adr does adidas trade at so there are three levels and adidas trades as a sponsored level one adr what that means is that they have uh, a little bit of um, less onerous reporting requirements and uh, for those analysis mavens who are listening today, and I know we have a few, you won't be able to pull a, a gap-style statement, the, the Form 20F, that you might be used to looking for when you buy ADRs and want to check up on them. So their financial statements will actually be issued under international financial reporting standards. They have a lot less compliance. For a company like Adidas, it's not because they want to stay under the radar screen or have something to hide. It's just more efficient uh, and and cheaper in some ways to be a level one ADR. Their sponsoring bank, uh, of course, is Deutsche Bank. And uh, it should be extremely easy if you want to trade under that symbol, which uh, Vince mentioned, uh, you shouldn't have any problem. Now, what's the difference if you move to a level two? If you move to a level two of, of ADR, then you can trade on the New York Stock Exchange mm-hmm. or another American exchange. Uh, for Adidas, global company, it's not really that big of a concern. 
Uh, there's no need for them. They've been around for decades to build their brand and get on an American exchange. So uh, level one ADR, you easily find the symbol, as uh, Vince said, and happy trading if you're interested. Thank you, Asit. Uh, and wrapping up our episode, I wanted to get to the details of our puzzle and our contest. And we love games here at uh, Full HQ, and I think uh, these different puzzles and challenges that we have are a big part of how we team build, um, how we collaborate together at the company, and. We actually have a chief collaboration officer and puzzle master named Todd Eder. I've participated in several of these different challenges that he's created. They are really incredible, really fun. And this week, uh, we wanted to share some of that experience with our listeners um, and let them in on some of the fun that we have here at Full HQ. So giving giving you all a taste of Todd's challenges, uh, we asked him to put together a puzzle for you guys. And every day this week, each host is going to wrap up their show with a clue. And the answer to that clue is a company name. Um, and Monday through Friday, we'll be able to bring all these together into a final puzzle that will be revealed on the Friday technology show with Dylan. So if you want to solve the whole thing, you got to listen to every episode this week. And what do you get for jumping through these hoops is the first 10 listeners to shoot us an email after Friday's show with the, uh, with the five company names, uh, and answers to the puzzles and the final one that Dylan shares, uh, on Friday, we'll get some full swag. So today's consumer and retail clue is if you add the letter T to the beginning of a two-word clothing company, you will get the name of a hypothetical clothing company that specializes in headwear wraps. What is the name of the original company? Again, if you add the letter T to the beginning of a two-word clothing company, you will get the name of a hypothetical company that specializes in headwear wraps. What is the name of the original company? Starting Friday, if you solve every clue, write in to industryfocus at fool.com with the email subject line puzzle and the answers. So again, uh, wait until Friday until you have all of the clues and the answers to to write in. Also, make sure that you tell us your t-shirt size. If you're stumped in the want the reveal on May 12th, we'll post the answers to the Motley Fool podcast Facebook group and also the Industry Focus Twitter account. To enter this contest, there's no purchase necessary, and the contest is open to all legal residents of the U.S., United States and Canada, excepting residents of the province of Quebec over the age of 18. Employees, affiliates, and contractors and their families of the Motley Fool, LLC, or any of their affiliates are not eligible. Uh, void where prohibited by law. For a complete list of contest rules, visit puzzle.fool.com. Uh, Asit, thanks again uh, for a great discussion on Adidas and uh, for joining us today. Great fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Uh, this podcast is produced by Austin Morgan. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thank you for listening and for one.